Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Today's episode is part two of our redistricting episode conversation. We're joined today by Commissioner Elaine Frazier with the New York Independent Redistricting Commission. Elaine's family comes from Long Island and migrated to upstate New York in the early 1950s after World War II in Korea. They were the first generation of civil servants, some of them organized units within what we know now as CSEA. Elaine's interest in civil work started in college when she started working for nonprofits, where she taught everything from candle making to cookie baking and preparation for high school equivalency and college preparation. She was eventually recruited to work in the New York State Assembly. Her work in the Assembly was followed by her work with the Honorable H. Carl McCall and a return to the Assembly for the office Honorable Sheldon Silver. In 1998, she left the Assembly for a position at Sunny College at the Old Westbury, followed by a tour of duty in the NYP, in the in, in New York City Board of Education and the office of the Bronx Borough President. Her last public endeavor was uh, the appointment to the Albany City Redistricting Commission and has continued in additional two mi- major minority seats there. And like I said, now she's serving as a commissioner on New York's Independent Redistricting Commission. So, uh, Elaine, we really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So to kind of start us off, um, we wanted to open up this first segment here with kind of talking about um, kind of the the need for these independent uh, redistricting commissions. Because we had a, a conversation uh, with Dan Vicuña with Common uh, Cause earlier in the week, kind of talking about the purposing of redistricting and how to kind of keep gerrymandering out of it. And we really see that what you all are doing with the commission is a is a great way to do that. Um, and one of the things that I notice is that you all take a lot of input from the community. That seems to be a really, really big, you know, layer of protection, I guess you could say. So we wanted to ask you, Commissioner Frazier, uh, how valuable is the input from the citizens and how difficult maybe is it to kind of balance out what everyone thinks is equitable? I think the first bar we have to cross is credibility. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, our colleague citizens weren't really convinced that we were serious about public participation. And we had to remind them and a number of other entities in New York's body politic that the public engagement was a requirement of the constitutional amendment that they all voted for. Um, So there was a, oh, yeah, that's right. We did, didn't we? And they went back and they organized themselves in varying levels to come back in the first round of testimony and talk about what their problems were with their lines and what they thought the commission ought to be focusing on. Uh, Pretty much our response to them was, well, we hope you're making maps and getting ready for the second round of testimony, which we are right now in. We're almost, I think we're at the middle. And what we have tried to convince people of is that, yes, we're really, really serious (laughs) about your public input. And yes, we have drafted, operative term here, drafted maps to elicit that comment, not to define, but to elicit public comment. And that is the part of the process that we're engaged in right now. And we've had some fascinating reactions from the public, uh, growing levels of participation, um, spotty not optimal, but people are showing up and they're showing up with comments and they are hearing us when we say, 
we need you to go back and put a line around what you told us. Put a streak. Put a barrier. This is where you live. You draw the maps. Okay? You tell us the issues that you got. We'd like you to draw the maps, and we are receptive. And we have a public website where they can load their maps, and we have assistance on that website for people who are doing maps for the first time. So we're linking arms and taking it seriously, and uh, we're trying to communicate to the public. It's with an uneven reaction, an uneven response, but we're out there communicating to the public. You know, we can you, you can say whatever it is you want. We want you to put it on a map and put it in testimony and send it to us. And I know people can't see it, but there's something I want to show you. Uh, oops, hold it. Nope, not that one. I have a... <laughs> We've been busy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Impressive, huh? See, I just needed you to say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been collecting information and listening, and uh, that's, a little, that's the stage that we're in now. We haven't hit New York yet. We started to do We went west first. We're coming east and then going south. I think it's... You know, kind of fascinating to see this, not an experiment, but this process play out in real time. Because like you said, this is the first, you know, go round for the independent independent commission. It was uh, born really in 2014 after the voters approved Proposition 1, which was a constitutional amendment, which created the commission. And this is really the first time that you're having to go through this process uh, with this independent commission. As we know, the lines are redrawn every 10 years. And 2021 is going to be the first go round. So just kind of talk to us about, you know, your background, you know, with redistricting. We know you did some work uh, with Albany City Redistricting uh, Commission. So maybe talk to us a little bit about just your work around redistricting and then also kind of maybe give us a little bit of an idea of what the redistricting process looked like, say, before 2014, so 2010 and before, and then why do you think that the independent redistricting commission is is an important or necessary change? I can tell you what we were advised, um, and I'm not going to tell tales out of school. Uh, One of the people who testified in Buffalo confirmed a reality that I'm really uncomfortable with, and that is he's a city councilman. And he said, I didn't know anything about what this process was about. And some of us sat there and kind of gasped and, you know, gripped our hands under the table. How could that be? And the answer is that not all municipalities, from city governments up to county governments, have a discussion of what redistricting means. One of the reasons that New York is paying attention is because at the end of the census, we actually lost a congressional seat. And we haven't done that before. And it required that we take this more seriously um, than other places that are that aren't experiencing any change. So my experience with redistricting is this. I was recruited to be on the Albany City Redistricting Commission um, at a point when nobody was doing independent redistricting. And the city commission, at the time people thought we were nuts, Uh, was a public engagement process. We agreed that we were going to do hearings. And 
the, that talk was nobody's going to come to these hearings. Nobody takes it seriously. Redistricting is something that's done in a political, totally political environment in a back room with the major players, and they cut deals and they get seats, and that's how it's done. How can you believe that you're going to take this out of the dark room for public comment, let alone having people draft their maps? But we did. And when we did, um, we actually had elected officials come with their constituencies and talk about their maps. And it was a very small experiment, but it was very meaningful because then now, with the statewide redistricting commission, we can say we know for a fact some people are some people are already there, not a whole lot, but they're already there. Right after the Albany City experience, I should say concurrent with the Albany City experience, um, the county was redrawing its lines. The county commission on redistricting was redrawing its lines, or I should say the county. And they were doing it the old-fashioned way. And apparently, um, they went back into another old-fashioned historic practice. The county of Albany got sued. And part of it, it that, was, that was kind of scary, because we were running parallel processes. The city was going on over here, literally across the street from where the county was going on. County ended up getting sued. The city, although it wasn't entirely pleasant all the time, we had a fight, we ended up, nobody got sued. County got sued. And at the heart of that litigation, what I believe, and we later found out, a number of of other people agreed and the court agreed, was the heart of the voting rights uh, issues. And that is the issue of representation. But Redistricting is always about the promise, constitutional promise of representation from the very beginning. That's what the fight was about. No taxation without representation. We've been having that battle in various forms from 17, whatever, 76. And here we are, representation. So we're in the struggle for representation, and the state um, decided that they were going to try the constitutional open process, constitutionally mandated open public engagement process. And this is what we're doing against the backdrop of other municipalities, other governments who are looking at redistricting and going, <laughs> now the state has this big public process, or this mid-sized public process. Uh, some cities have a public process. Some counties have a public process. What are we all doing? And we're all looking at it. I think in all, I've been going blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is that we all now are coming to terms with what it really means and what its opportunities are and what our, what our responsibilities are to the voting public. And we need to inspire collaboration and consistency and that's and of equal voice and participation. This can't be done in the closet, in the dark anymore. And so we're out here <laughs> 
on a first first run basis, trying to snatch it out of the closet and out of the dark. In New York State, which is old, we go. People say we haven't ever done this. No, no, we haven't ever done it. Well, why are you doing it now? Well, don't you think it's time? Absolutely, you know that's what and that's what we've been talking about this. So rather, why we've been talking about this issue because it's definitely something that needs to change. Um, just because. Um, you know, we, we we were talking about the fact that when the legislature has the power to draw the lines, that's just a conflict of interest just within itself. So um, we really do appreciate the work y'all are doing uh, in New York. And I know some other states are doing it as well. But what we're going to do, uh, Commissioner Frazier, we're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our second segment where we want to talk a little bit more about the workings of the commission. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment. Remember, we're joined today by Elaine Frazier. She's one of the commissioners on the New York Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, and as we were talking uh, for the break, Commissioner Frazier, the second segment is kind of diving off into kind of some of the things that you all are doing. Um, and one of the things that I saw on the website and kind of, you know, I guess the premise with redistricting and coming up with the commission in itself is making sure that we keep the communities of interest together. Um, because that's you know kind of the purpose as as our population changes, people move into communities and things. Redistricting is there to make sure that these communities of interest are together. So whenever uh, the commission gets ready to do this, Commissioner uh, Frazier, how do you, how do y'all go about identifying these communities of interest, um, and 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 how is that a priority that y'all work to keep you know first and forefront? Thank you for asking that, Adrian. That's like a softball. The reason that we have a public engagement process is to get the public to define the communities of interest. Um, That is, I would argue, the challenge that interested me the most. Because one could argue that in the past, the political parties defined the interest of a community and therefore ran on the basis of those interests. The ambition of the New York Redistricting Commission process is to get those communities to articulate their communities of interest and organize themselves around that. It is, I think it is a challenge. We have found it to be a challenge. First, to get people to understand that they are well within their rights and responsibilities as voters to do exactly that. Because if they can't, if they are not willing to say, yes, there's things we have in common, then the thing that they rail against the most, uh, whether they call it gerrymandering or partisan gerrymandering or all the undue influence of X, Y, and Z in political process, people have to assume some role in standing up for this is what's important in their community. And that's what a community of interest process begins with, the willingness of people to articulate what's important to them. And we are committed to it. Uh, We have argued with each other over the need to have it heard in the beginning, which is where that first round of hearings came from. 
and the need at this stage to have people come to the microphone and say, not only is this our community of interest, but these are our boundaries of our community of interest. And we're holding to that. We're holding each other, quite candidly, accountable for that. It's a little scary. It can be for you all and definitely for the people who were in charge of the process before who were dictating the interests of the communities, essentially, and and saying these are the things that we think is important rather than it being the other way around. And voters are doing that. I think, you know, for some politicians, this is probably, you know, upsetting because, uh, you know, they've been used to one way of doing things and now the public is getting involved. And you talked about it. You're required to hold public hearings and take public comments and people, communities can submit their own maps to you and let you know, these are, you know, this is what we think should happen. But, you know, like you say, before 2014, this was essentially kind of a backroom, backdoor kind of process. No one was really involved with it. And, you know, our community, especially in the, in the Black community, we have, we're trying to get people more involved about this process, but just folks just don't know what it is, what it means, why they need to care about it. So just maybe if you could talk about, you know, why it's, you probably, you kind of have, but you could maybe talk a little bit more just about why it's important for your communities to be involved in the process. And then what's the trade-off when a community doesn't get involved in the process and allows others to dictate what's important to their community? I can answer that part first. The trade-off is that everybody else gets to define what community means to you. And my short response to that is, aren't we tired of that? Um, I have, (laughs) see, y'all, I'm looking at you smiling. Both Indiana and Texas are going, yeah, you got that right. We're tired of that. But it's not enough to say that you're tired of it. You now have to stand up, turn around, and say, okay, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to us? What does this mean to family? How do I define us? And then how many of us's can I put together? And I would argue, and my colleague here is nodding her head because it's like, we've been, how do we get people to do that? How do we get the people who've been living next door to each other in, in chaos, in in 20 feet deep snow, in raging floodwaters, in feast and famine, to look at each other and say, you know what, we may actually have something in common here. And how do we put this on a map? Now, I'll give you an example. We've been at this, by the way, for many years. Only in different schools, we call it needs assessments. How do we say what our community really needs? It's a needs assessment. Only now it's a needs assessment with a line. And I have worked with whole cities that have done needs assessments around fiscal crises. And the one that I like to make an example of, New York State was facing an extraordinary crisis with foster care placement. And because you can't just walk in and snatch a kid out of a house and put them into foster care in New York. Unless somebody has a paper trail on what was going on and why. There were cities in New York that were challenged. It's like, okay, y'all know where these kids are coming from. You all know the circumstances. We want to put all y'all around the table. Schools, social welfare agencies, clinics, everybody. Grandmothers. And say, 
what are the problems here that are kicking out this phenomenon? And it generated a map. And people were like, oh, nobody cares about that map. That map saved government money because it put a solution set in a frame for government to respond to. So with all due respect, I know it's really cool to slam politicians for their not looking at where the real problems are. There's examples in New York where even, even the politicians were engaged in a practice of looking around and saying, How did, where does this come from? The other people who we don't talk about on my resume, the district attorneys and the feds and the police have been mapping for easily 30 years. They know where the crime comes from. Okay, they know where the crime is. And do are you are they required to tell anybody? Okay. But they map. And my first introduction to serious mapping came in the foster care crisis. My second introduction to serious mapping came from working with a district attorney who decided that he was tired of putting young men looking like him in jail. And he sat with the federal government and they started putting together a map. And so the technology has been there. Our willingness to look at this from a fact-based perspective has varied from discipline and policy to policy and discipline. This is our opportunity to take what we know, take all that information if we're willing to look at it and say, okay, now this is who we are. This is what our footprint looks like. This is our community. This is our community. Or as a former gang leader once said to me, this is our turf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is our turf. And we're going to fight these battles on our turf, and we're going to fight them our way. That's the challenge of the independent redistricting, is to go get that information from the people who need to articulate it, put it on a map, and move forward. Because it will guide the politician who is willing. It will inform the party. <laughs> no further comment. And it will let the electorate know that this is their opportunity to be taken more seriously than they have been in a long time. Make sense? Does it answer a question? I'm, I'm afraid of lapsing into political speak here. But it isn't. It is the soul of what politics is supposed to be about, and that is a community that is willing to exercise and, and express its concerns over its needs. And we need to do that. We cannot choose fear. We have always, either by at the point of a gun, at the threat of a noose, because somebody's threatening our housing or our welfare check or whatever, chosen fear. We cannot choose here again. This is our opportunity in New York to not choose here. And for people who are willing to look at it and say, oh, God, they're crazy. Yes, yes. This is an elaborate process. But let us, if we, we can do this, we can, we can do this. I think that's the, the message that people need to hear because when you talk about independent redistricting or gerrymandering one people don't understand it so you tend to kind of fear what you don't get 
and people just kind of shut off and they say, oh, I don't want to think about redistricting. I don't understand it. But I think if we could do what you say and, and not choose fear all the time and maybe stand up and say, you know what, we actually have to take control of this process and make our voices heard. That would take, you know, have people take us more seriously. Because I do think there is an attitude out there where not just with redistricting, we're just, you know, dividing up resources, period. is like, well, we can give, you know, the black community whatever we think they deserve and they're just going to take it and they're not going to say anything about it. They're not going to be involved in the process of it being divvied up or anything like that. And they're just going to kind of lay down and yeah, they'll just take what they get. And redistricting is kind of an extension of that attitude of, well, we'll just divide up your communities and give you, you know, whatever representation we think you deserve because we know or they have an attitude of, well, they're not going to say anything anyway, because they feel as though voting doesn't matter. Civic engagement doesn't matter. And that's the wrong attitude. And when you do that, there's a trade-off. Like you're, you're talking about, you lose control of your turf and your neighborhoods. And we've seen it firsthand what it can do. We've had chronic problems in our neighborhoods that haven't gotten fixed. And I do believe part of it is our fault for just not being able to organize at the local level to make our voices heard all the time. You can't pick and choose election years for the federal level. You have to do it all the time and not every four years. And if we don't change that mindset, we're just going to kind of get, keep getting the same result. Um, so I, I appreciate the bluntness. I know you're worried about the political speak, but I think we need that that bluntness there for people to really understand. It's a complicated process, but it's necessary that we need to be involved in it. May I add something? Mm-hmm. The phenomenons of our census here is that you you got you need to account for everybody, and there are, there is a whole band of our community that decided that it was never going to be counted again. And I call them out and challenge them to say, you know what? You need to count your children first. This is all about futures. And if you don't step up on behalf of the future of your children and community, and you're the only person that can do that in the redistricting process, because you're the voter, oh, person who was recently formerly <laughs> incarcerated, oh, person who has this on it. There's, like, there's no excuse here. There is no hidey hole here. There is no one to criticize your participation here. You are as much a part of this community, and I dare say you are driving a lot of the undercurrent in this community. We all have to step up and identify issues within our community. And you are a major part of this community, and you need to step up and step out and say, yeah, we got issues here. And that's my bid for every, we are serious. We are, we are so serious. Um, and, oh, by the way, the other people who we also have to say we're serious about is everybody who wants to be identified as a group, <laughs> you better step up. <laughs> no, we like that. That you absolutely have to. I think you know we we've seen that you know as a people, um, <clears throat> you know we're outnumbered, and you know unfortunately the people in power often don't want to give up that power. So you do have to voice your opinion and stand up. So what we're going to do, uh, Commissioner Frazier, we're going to take another break here. When we come back, listeners, we're going to get into our third segment, our final segment here, and just really kind of, as we always do, just pave the way forward and you know send you home with something uh, good and positive. So stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So we're getting into our, our third segment here. We're going to talk about, you know, um, our independent redistricting commissions, the better solution. Um, and, and again, we're joined by uh, Miss Elaine Frazier. Uh, she is a commissioner on the New York Redistrict Independent Redistricting Commission. And so, um, Elaine, we, we talked a lot about the need for public and, you know, engagement and making your own maps that are created by the community. But like we said, you know, the topic of this segment is really our IRC is the better solution. Independent commissions are really seen by a lot of people as a solution to, to gerrymander districts that Democrats and Republicans, both parties do this. They've used these gerrymander districts to their advantages uh, for decades. And so this is changing. So we've seen other states implement uh, independent redistricting commissions, not only New York, I think Michigan has one this year. Uh, I believe maybe even Arizona. There's probably other states. But one in particular is Michigan, where their independent commission has actually gotten some criticism for some maps that they recently released. And Black voters in Michigan kind of voiced their opposition to the, the maps the commission made, and they wanted them tossed out in favor of new ones. And so, you know, we know, we, we agree with you. Independent commissions are a better solution to just having the political or, or legislative bodies create the maps themselves. But it's obvious that there are some challenges that remain in this process. So just to get your opinion on it, what do you think are some of the some other changes that we can maybe make to the redistricting process to make it more equitable, you know, for everyone that's involved? I think it's fair to say that if we had a process where everybody agreed we were probably asleep and dreaming. Okay? The point of this process is to smoke out people's issues and differences. It is unrealistic for us to think that we are going to have an independent process in which everybody will agree. Um, it is unreasonable to think that every, nothing will change. It's supposed to change. This is something that happens every 10 years. If you're telling me a community is has undergone zero change in 10 years, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't think there's a place in the world that can say it has not undergone any change in 10 years, and especially if it's a place that votes. Um, however, I think it is more important to ask a question. Independence in New York State meant that this process was going to be independent of undue influence by the stakeholders themselves so that the elected officials could not go in a room and cut a deal that was entirely on their behalf. The moment you get out of that room and you enter, you open the door to other input, you set the stage for disagreement. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because we have all changed. Our communities have changed. And we need to have a public, publicly accountable system of representation that reflects things as they are. Not as they were 20, 30 years ago, but as they are. So the, the difference, I would argue, in Michigan is a, thank goodness, 
because Michigan's got real issues. My goodness, I've been listening to Michigan issues now for the last five years, and people saying to me, we've got the same problem, Elaine. We've got the same problem. I think it is important, however, that in our independent process, that our independent process be as representative of the population at large. And we've been criticized because we are not as representative as the population itself. So our answer is, we're out here in the public universe saying, bring your maps, bring it. Because our job is to hear, our job is to listen, our job is to decide with public comment, not independent of. The independent is not independent of public. It's independent of the undue influences, undue influences of partisanship, big money, all the things that have made politics in the United States troublesome for absolutely everybody. You're right. I mean, we've talked so much around reform, and and I want to say in season four or five next uh, year, whenever we start gearing up uh, for elections, we're going to be doing a series on congressional reform because there's a lot of a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned around that. But a couple things, Commissioner, because um, you kind of teed up a couple things I wanted to mention in, in this segment here, <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of I'll do it in a in a two parter here. Um, one of the things that I noticed just looking at the commission, you know, eight eight of the ten of the of the uh, New York commission uh, is appointed by members of the legislature, and then the last two people are appointed by those eight. Um, and and one of the things I just wanted to kind of ask you, because obviously, you know, we're talking about being independent and you know taking care of the interest of everybody. You know, what lessons can be learned or taken away from how um, you all as commissioners, you know, appointed by, you know, legislative members who have a political agenda? What are those lessons that can be learned about how you all are able to work in a nonpartisan fashion? Thank you for asking me that. Um, I am reminded sometimes that I have to ask myself, Elaine, why did you say yes? (laughs) All of the... (laughs) All of us bring all manner of explicit or secret or or alluded to agendas. The biggest thing, as far as I'm concerned, in independence is asking yourself in a mirror, why did you say yes? What does independence mean to you? We have gone through several commissioners, by the way. This is a different group than what we started with. Because people look at me and go, I can't do that. I can't do that. And what are some of the things that they can't do? Um, We have a lot of lawyers, and we have lawyers who work for firms, and we have firms with multiple interests. When you look at a firm in New York that's making any kind of money, they represent all kinds of interests. We've had commissioners that say, I can't do that. I can't do that disclosure thing because then I violate my, my practice. I do this. I do that. I can't do this. Thank you, but I can't do this. We'll be on the backside when you get to the district. That's a that's a personal ethics because redistricting, independent redistricting, that I word is a function and manifestation, I think, of personal ethics. And it goes back to why'd you say yes in the first place? Why did you say yes? 
I am really, I'm really impressed with my colleagues because I know a little bit more about them. As I said, I'm older than almost all of them. I know a little bit about that journey. And I think you would be impressed if you ask them individually, why did you say yes? Because that, at the end of the day, is the heart of what independence and ethics is, is what we're doing when we step up to the plate. And we have to evaluate what communities of interest are. That's what you're asking for. And it doesn't matter if we're in Utah. Some of the smartest input I got early on in the commission was from a, a, a commissioner in Utah who says, ah, we're going to have to read your lines. And he looked excited. And I'm thinking, Utah, are you kidding me? He was, he was all the way there. He was, he's like, I, we are so excited. And there were some people who were very callous in the chat, in the little chat box. And it's like, they've got indigenous people in Utah, stupid. This man is excited because he knows who lives in Utah. Okay, we don't know who lives in Utah. Utah is like this dynasty western land. Okay, a Roman land. We in New York, we have an idea. We have our own little fantasies about who lives here. This man was genuinely excited about the opportunity to step into his, what he truly believes about our democracy. And I would suggest to you that that is at the heart of what independence is, which you truly believe is a promise of our democracy and how you're willing to work it through as an individual, as a voter, as an ambivalent voter, as an ambivalent Republican, ambivalent Democrat, I mean, whatever. It is what you believe and your own ability to be independent and stand on your ethics and what you see and move forward with that. Does that answer that question? Yes, it does. And I, I, I wish our um, our politicians and political leaders, you know, thought the same thing and maybe uh, <laughs> remembered why they said yes or, or, or decided to not do certain things because of the conflict countries they have. So that's awesome. And then the, the other thing to, to kind of wrap up this, um, my, my, you know, this little bit here, um, also kind of looking at the commission and, and kind of, thinking about how we're talking about being inclusive and making sure that we um, keep everybody in mind. Um, when you look at the commission, it seems like from the names, only two uh, female, it looks like it's mainly uh, men dominated. And I didn't see a lot of uh, color, not necessarily in just black, but just color in general. Maybe, maybe all the pictures aren't current, but, uh, and like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot at all, but we're, you know, just in thinking about making sure that everyone's equitable and just, and again, just in how we can make sure that if we are to implement this something, you know, throughout the country, um, how important is it to make sure that, you know, diversity and representation is on the commission, um, you know, if, if, if more and more states are to adopt this. Okay. I'm about to piss off some people here, but I'm <laughs> going to say this. The reason that the public engagement process in New York is so important is because there is no way we could fit on a commission the variety of perspective and identity that exists in this state and have it, we, got, we, have, we have work to do. And part of our work is to get everybody to believe that it is possible to be heard and possible to be seen. And the input is credible. So we have gone out there. 
So I give my colleagues a lot of credit. They have been in places it's like, you know, I never thought I'd be out here doing it. That's that's okay. <laughs> Talking to people that they never thought it's like, oh, shoot me. Do I really have to? Yes, you do. Because you know that they're there. You go find them and tell them it is okay. It is required. It is expected. And it is hoped for that you step up to the plate. All y'all. We've talked to ministers. We've talked to formerly the formerly incarcerated. We talked to people. We talked to all every possible configuration of folk as individuals and as groups of commissioners to get them to understand we are serious. So you can look at that group of folks and say, mm, they're looking mighty predictable to me. In their hearts, these are some extraordinary people, and they know the work that has to be done, and they are out knocking and banging and hollering and tearing their hair out to get people to the table with these maps. And I've watched it. And oh, by the way, some of that stuff that I said, I learned from watching elected officials do extraordinary things stepping out of that very uniform demographic that they came from and embracing a colleague because they knew that together, it was, it was only together, that they'd be able to bring something really important into the state of New York and into those communities that they came from. Embracing each other above and beyond the visible and theoretical difference because they were committed to doing what needed to be done for more. And that's the challenge. For more, not for me, for more than me. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. And, and, and that's the one thing that it sounds, you know, what, what you've said throughout, you know, a, a lot of the conversation um, is, is really important, but it's about having the right people on the bus. And I feel like, you know, whenever you um, have a commission that is supposed to have this independence, have everyone's best interests in mind, you really have got to make sure that the people who are, you know, who are, you know, on the commission um, have everyone's best interests in mind and are able to kind of drop a lot of their biases. And like I said before, Commissioner uh, Frazier, I just really wish, you know, more of our politicians um, you know, we're like you all were on the commission because um, that's what we really need. Um, but um, if we are going to you know, get to a better point, you know, I think y'all are working towards that, because if we have better lines drawn up that are representing the communities better, we can have better representation to get the different legislation that we need done in these communities. So um, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, educating Devin and myself on, you know, what you all do, educating our listeners on what you do. And we just hope more and more states uh, adopt. I think there's, you know, about uh, almost a dozen or so who are starting to do it. So um, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I say the same thing as, as Adrian, as we, you know, as we get towards the end here of just, it's a complex issue and I appreciate your, your answer to my question about Michigan and the, the criticism that they were receiving. The fact that you said, thank God that they even are criticizing them. That means they're involved in the process. That means they're paying attention. That's right. Something that may not have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. So just the fact that they are paying attention, they're voicing their opposition and they're saying, Hey, we don't like these maps. We think these, you know, we need to redo this and we want to be involved in that process. 
is something that's encouraging as we move forward and we get more of these independent commissions that are taking the the mantle and saying, you know what, we have to make sure we check, we we get the public involved, we educate the public on the process, we tell them why this is necessary. You can't let your politicians pick you. You have to pick your politicians. And that's kind of what the redistricting process um, really is, is all about. And I appreciate you the bluntness of it. You know, it really is something you don't hear very often. A lot of people are not willing to step out there and say, yeah, we've got issues. We've got things that we need to work on, not just in our community, but just mm-hmm. the country, you know, as a whole. When we talk about redistricting and gerrymandering and who's involved and how the process has played out. Some people just aren't truthful about, yeah, it was, it was kind of a back, you know, backdoor back deal thing, kind of a black box that people really didn't know what was happening. They just knew we got new maps every 10 years. And now we're trying to get to a point where with the commit, the independent commissions where it's a more transparent process at the very least, people may know more about what goes into making a map. And I think that's progress within itself, even though they may not necessarily participate, at least they know more about the process. Can I tell you what I have found most encouraging in the last six months? We're getting letters uh, from people who otherwise would be whispering to each other and saying they ain't never been about us. <laughs> and we're starting here. And I am so encouraged by that. Because no matter what happens with us, the people who are coming right in behind us, they will not let this opportunity pass again. Not the elected officials who took for granted the processes that got them there, not the people who voted for them. There were, we, I don't know if I have another 30 seconds. I was in a building um, uh, last week. I'm sorry, my voice is going to crack. I was in a building last week that reflects what happens when people are willing to look at the state of their electorate and say, you know, I don't care if he's this crazy guy from out West. I need me one of these. And we're going to go get us one of these. And I was sitting in this stunning, modern, high-tech training center in Rochester that was east of a high-tech stunning training center in Buffalo that reflected a high-tech stunning training center in Brooklyn because the elected officials said, no, see, we need me one of them. Who would you get one of I want one of those. And it was in a place where they came together as elected officials that demonstrated to people on the basis of needs articulated by their communities, they will overcome all kinds of junk that is supposedly barriers and difference. And I've watched them do it. It is, if you don't mind my saying so, the miracle of New York. That people say, you, are you kidding me? They did what? Yes, they did. Together, when everybody was gone, they came to agreement and they did it. And there is hope in that. There is proof in that, that a representative process can work. If we all step up and do what we're supposed to do, from the community talking to their elected officials, the ministers talking to the elected officials, everybody turning us, okay, God, you got to take this message over here. There is hope in that. And I'm for hope. I choose hope instead of fear every time. 
even though it's hard. Yes, you're absolutely correct there. Um, I think that that's where we are in our country right now, where we all have to choose hope. Um, it's so easy to choose, like you said, fear. Um, but here we are working, fighting to try to make this thing a better place to live in. So uh, we appreciate what you all are doing in New York. Uh, we're going to keep educating the public on what they can do to uh, continue within their states to get more fair maps, um, because like you said, it all starts there with who's in representation. So listeners, we're going to take our uh, final break here. And remember, we've been joined today by Elaine Frazier. She's commissioner or rather one of the commissioners on New York's Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, again, awesome, awesome, awesome conversation. But we're going to take one more break. So stick with us. We'll be right back have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So this was a special episode. So today is Thursday. That means our next scheduled episode is going to come out this Saturday, October 30th, the day before Halloween. And that is going to be weekly roundup number 20, the 20th one of the season. Uh, Me and AJ will be back with you to bring you more news, funny news, odd news, you name it. We're going to probably talk about it on the show So make sure you tune in this Saturday, October 30th for weekly roundup number 20. And then coming up that following Tuesday, it'll be November. We'll be in a whole new month. And this time we're going to open a month talking about the pandemic and the supply chain. So this episode is going to be how you, (laughs) you, the listeners and us and the pandemic have broken the supply chain. So you may have noticed things not being in stock at the store Um, And the reason why is because the global supply chain is backed up and we're actually going to have a director and professor from MIT on the show to talk with us. His name is Professor Yossi Sheffi. And like I say, he is the director and professor for MIT's Center for Transportation and Logistics. And he's going to talk to us about how you and the pandemic have broken broken the global supply chain and Christmas could be in jeopardy. So make sure you stick around for that episode. It's going to be coming up on Tuesday um, in November. That's going to be our first episode of November. So stick around for that. It's going to be very interesting as we talk about what's going on with the global supply chain. Um, after that, of course, we'll be back with you for weekly roundup number 21 and we'll promote, promote that next week. Um, before we go, we also like to let you know that you can donate to us. We love it when you listen to us and download the podcast, but there are actually some other ways you can get involved and agents going to let you know how you can donate to us. Absolutely. Thank you, Devin. Listeners, I always say, make sure you go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, there's a donate tab for you already there. You can start donating from a dollar, five, ten, whatever you want to do. When you donate to us, you actually become a monthly patron and you get gifts from us, whether they're thank yous, you may can suggest shows. Um, you can even be on the show. A lot of different things on our patron page there. So make sure you go to our website and start giving. Um, and I always like to remind people why you're doing this. You know, we have, you know, talked about it, you know, show after show after show that it's not just about podcasting. It's a lot more 
that Deborah and I are preparing for and working, you know, to bring you uh, and to really bring communities. Um, we're not just wanting to educate, you know, people. We actually want to lobby for these ideas and these policies that we're learning about and that we're, you know, studying essentially. So we can't do that without you. Definitely got to have it. So like I said, go to our website, com, click the donate tab and start giving. The other thing we like to do is highlight a charity of the month. And this month has been about Race Forward. Race Four works to build movements for racial justice. They're an organization that conducts original and broadly accessible research on pressing racial justice issues in partnership with communities, organizations, and sectors. They build strategies to advance racial justice in our policies, institutions, and culture. They envision a society where there is going to be justice, multicultural, democratic, uh, free from oppression and exploitation in which people of color can thrive uh, with purpose and power. So really, really good organization there. Uh, we got to do our um, advertisement about them so they can uh, get some some spotlight. But, yeah, make sure you all pay attention to them. Uh, check out their website. That's right. Check them out. Check out blackagendapod.com. Make sure you donate to both. You don't have to just pick one or the other. You can donate to both organizations. Um, our podcast and Race 4, we will both appreciate any help that you give us. Uh, before we go, we'd like to let you know you can follow us on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. Um, you can also find us on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in the Black Agenda podcast, and you should find our channel where we have, I think, over 50 videos, interviews, and conversations about different topics. We've covered, you know, HBCUs. We've talked about critical race theory, talked about the COVID vaccine. We've talked about anything that you can imagine. If we haven't talked about it, you need to let us know so we can get somebody on the show with us. But again, you can find us on all major social media platforms at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And you can find us on YouTube. Just search for the Black Agenda Podcast. And so uh, for me and Adrian, again, we appreciate you listening to us. This is a great, a great, great interview with Miss Elaine Frazier from New York. She was excellent as we anticipated. And we hope that you have a better understanding of the redistricting process and why it is so critical to our community. So make sure you tell folks to listen to this if they're not really sure what redistricting really means. This episode We'll explain that in, in within itself. So make sure you share this with anybody around you, with your family, friends, coworkers. And we appreciate you supporting us and listening to us. And we'll be back with you on Saturday, October 30th for weekly roundup number 20. And until then, we'll catch you next time.